I've entitled, uh, I've changed the title of this message several times and uh, let you know right away it, it'll be two-part. Um, but I've entitled it, as you can see from the bulletin, Improving Our Personal Well-Being. Now, what in the world does that mean, improving our personal well-being? Um, I think if I put in health, wealth, and uh, that type of thing, we either would have attracted everybody or everybody would have ran the other way. Um, however, uh, as we come to tonight, we come to this section and dealing with Proverbs and dealing with practical areas of Proverbs, I want to say a number of things right at the outset. When we hear the word health or we talk about our health, I think we need to be uh, aware of, if we're not, I think we're uh, not living with much awareness of what's going on around us. We are living in a very health-conscious society. There is a big emphasis on health. There's an emphasis on watching what you eat, on watching what you drink, on getting the proper amount or the right amount of physical exercise. There are exercise machines that are available. In fact, if you go by any gym, uh, I say gym, it's really not the right title for it today, but there are all types of exercise machines there available, of course, with TV. Um, and there are exercise machines in most everybody's home. There are health clubs all over the place. There are benefits that even insurance companies give for you joining health clubs. As I mentioned food, there is more, I believe, a conscious awareness today of sugar content, fat content, calorie content. And by the way, I am not um, saying that these things are bad. I'm just bringing us up to date. Is it true or not true that this is real today? I think it's rather interesting because I don't remember this when I was a young child. But I would venture to say that in my observation now, there are more mothers, there are more fathers, there are more older people who are running, walking, swimming, or anything else you can think about uh, when that was not a big thing in the past. There are various movements that are going on in our day and age. And again, I believe in dealing with this stuff head on and, and practically. But uh, there are a lot of movements in our day that are against junk food, that are against soft drinks to the extent that even in schools, they are not giving parents choices anymore. They are just deciding the kids cannot have this. End of discussion. There is more an emphasis and movements on pursuing the natural, on pursuing the organic uh, in our society. I'll put it to you this way. There are more, I believe, every day, if I can use that term, you allow me a little grace with it. There are more everyday people who are running marathons who are involved in Ironman races, triathlons, 5K, 10K, and any other K you want to think about. 
That was not the case 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but there is tremendous emphasis on all of these things, eating, drinking, exercise, these clubs, and all of this stuff. Some of the objectives, we can't, certainly everybody's objective is a little different. We have to be realistic with that. But some of the objectives, certainly, that I have heard and I have read and uh, see advertised is to live a healthier life, to have a better quality life, and in fact, though some would not admit it openly, others would, it's to live longer. And uh, those who sometimes say that that's not the case, if they were honest with their own conscience and heart, they are hoping that they will live a longer life. And so that is, I think, a good check on the society that we are living in today. In fact, I found it rather interesting. We didn't have the TV set on, I don't think, at home for more than a half an hour this afternoon. And uh, when I saw it, there was one uh, show committed by, with a doctor, medical doctor, to the whole process of health. And there was another situation that we turned over to and it had everything to do with proper exercise and so forth, and the very things that I knew I was gonna be speaking on this evening. Some of the reasons that we have this emphasis and some of the things that are going on, and these are not all inclusive, is the high level of stress that we are living in our society, without question, the stress and requirements that are there. Uh, there is less physical labor today a lot more mental labor. There's less farming, for example, that's going on, and uh, a lot more that's committed to desk work or traveling from here and there, uh, involved in meetings and processes and thinking and computers and all of that. There is indeed less walking that is done. Uh, there are more cars on the road. Uh, I've made this comment many times to my wife. I don't you know, people talk about Los Angeles, they talk about uh, Boston or New York or whatever. Quite frankly, I don't know many places that you can go where there's not a lot of traffic. And I can know that just in this area alone, in living here in the greater Boston area, that when I was part of the rat race going into Boston and, and living and cutting in and out of cars and all of that craziness, it was one way. In the morning, it would be going into Boston. In the evening, it was coming out. I challenge you now because it's 6 o'clock at night, whether you're coming or going into Boston, there is traffic. And it's backed up in both directions. And that is probably because there are more cars on the road. Very few families that have one car at all uh, in existence anymore, that there's just that situation. There's more multi-cars and all types of situation. Very few people are walking any place. And so there is a need for that type of exercise. In fact, there are more preservatives that are in food. I'm just trying to be, again, very open about this. There are more preservatives that are in food. There are more chemicals that are in the food that is produced today. There is a tremendous overuse of antibiotics that are placed in food. We are facing a day and age in which there are cancers and all other types of diseases all of which are associated depending upon, quite frankly, depending upon who's funding the um, study to prove that breathing air
causes cancer. Uh, it's just uh, almost anything you want to find out. It goes on and on and on. Now, I want to say, having laid that foundation, I think most of you know me. I do exercise. Uh, I do try to get some exercise. I do try to watch what I eat. And I, although I am not very fussy, but my wife, I think, would be, and my kids would tell you, I, I don't, I eat a lot of junk food here and there, but I kind of am careful what I eat as well. I believe being healthy is a good thing. I believe balance is an important thing. But, and I say but, let me start with this as I deal with this area from the book of Proverbs and from the word of God. Let me ask you this, for your own thinking, honestly. Are we as much concerned? Do we spend as much time do we exert as much emphasis and energy on spiritual health? How much time goes into that? I see people reading labels to find out what the content is and everything else and spending hours in preparation of food to make sure it's the right food and so forth. How much time is spent in prayer? How much time is spent in witnessing? How much time is spent reading the Word of God? 15 minutes reading? An hour exercising? 15 minutes to an hour reading and praying? Two hours between exercise and watching what you eat? Where really is our time being spent? What do the scriptures say? Do the scriptures have anything to say about health and wealth and, and these concerns and our spiritual life? I think they do. I think they do. And I think I've painted a pretty fair picture of where our society is and some of the concerns of our society and some of where not only unbelievers are but even Christians are with their time. What, if anything, does the book of Proverbs say about health, about our well-being, as I entitled it for the message? It says a lot. It says an awful lot. But even in setting, in setting that before us, I, I really feel it's important to lay some groundwork from the scriptures. We will look at a lot of things in Proverbs, and you will see there are some things that we can do that will be very profitable to our well-being, to our physical health as well. But let's lay some foundations because of the concerns that we do have about exercise, about food, about the condition of our lives and so forth. Let me start with this. So here are the found fundamental things I'm going to call it, or the basics that I want to outline that are in Scripture I won't exhaust the scriptures on them. I'm going to try to limit it to two messages. But before we start talking about uh, some of these things that are in the book of Proverbs, let's fully understand what the scriptures teach. Number one, our days are known and determined by God. He knows every single one of our days. You are not going to live one moment longer or shorter 
than God intended you to live. Or me. Turn with me to Job chapter 14. I don't hear any pages turning. I think everybody's going to leave. <laughs> Job chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Man who is born of a woman is short-lived, full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You also open your eye on him and bring him into judgment with yourself. Who can make a clean out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. And his limits you have set so he cannot pass. I think that's pretty straightforward. God has made our days. He has determined our months. He's determined our years. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Verse 16. And you know Psalm 139, I believe very well, a congregation like this. It's tremendous regarding the Lord knowing everything about us. We can't hide from God. All of that's in there. But look at verse 16 as he talks about how he was being formed in his mother's womb. Verse 13, you go down to verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written not some, were all written. What? The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Well, there wasn't one of them. That's what the psalmist says. Tremendous, tremendous psalm, encouraging in many, many ways, but he's also realistic about how the Lord knew about him while he was being formed and everything about him, but he also says, you knew the days, every single one of them, and they were written, they were all ordained for me, and yet not one of them has even come to pass before I was born. We knew it all. So I think we want to lay a foundation that really needs to be set not just theologically in our thinking, but it's true, and that is that our days, first of all, are known and are determined by God. Second, man's lifespan is generally, and I want you to catch that, generally 70 to 80 years. You can do anything you want. It's generally 70 to 80 years. Turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verses 9 and 10. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. And then very famous passage. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for it is gone, and we fly away. That is a general principle. It isn't that everyone, obviously, some people live to be 90. Some people live to be 100. 
Some people die earlier. But as a general principle, we can count on the fact that, first of all, God knows all of our days. Secondly, we can count on the fact that generally you will live to be somewhere between 70 and 80 years old. I have purposely done this as a project. You look at the newspaper and look at the obituaries and look at the age that people are dying at. There are exceptions. There is 40. There are people that live to be 90. But most people that you will look at will die between the ages of 70 and 90, or in their 70s and 80s. That's when they will generally die. Some lives are shorter because of diseases. Some lives are shorter because of accidents. And this is scriptural, by the way. Some lives are shorter because of war. Some lives are shorter because of violence. And as we will see in the book of Proverbs, some lives are shorter because of disobedience to God. Some are longer. Examples, Joseph, he lived a longer life. Moses, Joshua, you say those are Old Testament. How about John on the Isle of Patmos? Every indication was that he was in his 90s. Okay, there are exceptions is the point. You could be an exception to that. You could live to be 90, 95. And understand this, as a Christian we should note this. Because your family basically generally lives to be 90 is no guarantee you will or I will. That may be a general flow, but that is not necessarily so, even though there's longevity in your family. Next, so God knows our days, our lifespan. You can depend upon it being somewhere in the vicinity of probably 70 to 80 years in the 70s or 80s in the normal course of your life. What about physical exercise? Is it profitable? Yes. Very little. Now, I try to jog five days a week. Why? To be honest, because I feel better. It, beats, it gets my heart uh, and gets my circulatory system going well. And if I didn't, I'd probably have a heart attack while I was officiating uh, and so forth. There are, there are benefits to it. But is it profitable? The answer is yes, a little bit. But it's not to be preferred above spiritual. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. I say this again because I think it's a good barometer for myself. Maybe you're the exception. Maybe you have your mind set on spiritual things six hours a day and you exercise for one. I tend to think that most of us, if we're honest, are more involved in what we're eating, what we're thinking about, what we're getting for sleep, what we're exercising, and what we're doing more than we are with the things of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Now, we got young people in this auditorium as well, and I think that's good. Is it good to exercise? Of course it is. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished in the words of faith and in sound doctrine, which time you have been following. But having nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women, on the other hand, discipline yourself. What? For the purpose of godliness. Why? For bodily discipline or physical exercise, if you want to put it that way, is only of little profit. 
We think it's of great profit. It's not. I have had fellow referees and people that were in great, quote unquote, physical condition. I had a teacher that all his life was involved in just concern over health and exercise and he dropped dead on his daughter's wedding day. That's a true story. He was my chemistry teacher. How old was he when he died? In his 50s. He exercised all the time. Dropped dead. Did he have a heart condition? When they did an autopsy, they couldn't understand why he died. What I'm trying to tell you, it just, it's what it says. It's for bodily discipline is only of little profit. It doesn't stop there. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and for the life to come. And to put it very simply in an exposition of the, the, the situation, he's not saying we won't get profit, but even from the perspective of what you gain from it, the physical exercise is only good for this physical body in this world. And this is not, by the way, an excuse for you to go out of here and say, I never want to have any physical exercise. I can just get fat. No, that's, that's foolishness. But we do have the other side going on as well. The point is, what I want to do is really concentrate on what? I want to concentrate on the purpose of godliness. I want to concentrate on the things of God because that's not only good for this life, it is also good for later on when I'm in the presence of God for all eternity. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 20 to 23. Now you would say, Pastor Dan, after saying this, you're not going to jog anymore, are you? No, of course I am. I'm going to jog. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, which all refer to the things destined to perish. What are you talking about? All of that stuff is going to perish with its use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These things are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. And by the way, don't you think that physical exercise and health has not become a religion? It absolutely has. Not what everybody, that's not what I'm saying, but it does. It becomes a religion. There will be people that will miss reading the word of God for several days, even months, and will never miss a day of exercise. There are people who will miss being with believers in events that would give them spiritual benefit and will never miss adding certain contents to their diets because they're so much concerned about that. And self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It's pretty straightforward. Now, I know in this area, asceticism is what's being addressed in the book of Colossians. The point is it's very limited and very temporal. 
as far as those things. But it doesn't mean that it's not good. In fact, there are other passages of Scripture, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, uses the idea of an athlete. And he says he disciplines himself so that he can succeed. But the whole point of the passage is that like that athlete disciplines himself, we should be disciplining ourselves in spiritual things. What I'm reading, what I'm thinking, what I'm exposed to, where I go, what I'm doing. So those are just a few things already. Is that all the groundwork, Pastor Dan? No. What about food? Oh, please don't go there, Pastor Dan. What about food? Has the scriptures got anything to say about it? Yes. You know what? The first thing it has to say is this. All food is acceptable. You say, Pastor Dan, that's not so. Oh, yes, it is. Whether you are a vegetarian or you're not a vegetarian, that's a personal choice. And there is nothing wrong with either one. And there is nothing more spiritual with either one. But I want you to see something. Go back to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. You say it's after the fall, Pastor Dan. Of course it is. Where am I living after the fall? Where are you living after the fall? I'm not living in Abraham's day. I mean, sorry, Adam's day. Chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Great. The fear of you and the terror of you will be upon every beast of the earth, every bird of the sky, and everything that creeps on the ground, and all the flesh of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. That's pretty straightforward. I give all to you as I gave every green plant. There isn't anything. There's anything that's not acceptable to be eaten. We are not under Jewish law with some of their laws. And what God has given us as far as food, everything's acceptable. Maybe that's only in the New Testament, um, Old Testament. How about 1 Timothy chapter 4? Let's try that. 1 Timothy chapter 4. By the way, the th things that I'm teaching you, I, I not only believe them and see them in Scripture, but I have to work that with my own children. I've had to go through this because of some of the things that they've thought at times. And, and, and to try to teach them that health is a good thing. But trying to live before the flood, we're not there. Trying to live under other circumstances that God hasn't put us on, we need to use common sense and be careful. But we need to get it in the right perspective. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter days, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. That is the context. And the doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisies and lies, seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, men will forbid marriage, advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. 
For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Why? For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. That's pretty straightforward. It can even be doctrines of demons. The saying to not marry or to abstain from certain foods and so forth. And I know you could say that, well, you know, well, the medical world and all the knowledge we have, you already mentioned, Pastor Dan, the chemicals and the antibiotics and all of that. That's why I mentioned it. Yes, it's true today. But I think we have to have the right balance. Why do you think it says, we always quote it, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. And if you can do that, that's the end of the discussion. It's not for me to convince you to live the way I live. Not for me to convince you to eat what I eat. And yet that goes on. Just get into this diet. Just get into that. Well, you may have health issues and have to abide by some of the doctrinal doctrines there. Or what a doctor might say is what I want to say. Anything else on food? Yeah, it says all is acceptable. And let me give you the second one. I think this is a challenge that's pretty practical. We are not to spend our life worrying about it. What? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to, and this is pretty practical, what you will eat or what you will drink. And I know the context. Whether they would have anything. Of course. But how many are so worried if they ate one chip that had a chemical in it, they're going to die? Or, let's take the other side of the coin, that if they ate something healthy, they were going to die. That's probably more like a lot of us. Seriously. We get worried about that. He says, don't worry, nor for your body, nor for your body as to what you put on. Is Look at this. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? That is simple in its context. That is not to be the major concern of our lives. I don't want to go to my grave, I know that, and have to stand before God and say, well, I got concerned about spiritual things. I, I preached the word, but... 80% of my day was worried about what I was going to eat and what I was going to drink and what I was going to be clothed with and so forth. And Lord is going to say, that's all left behind. That means nothing in eternity. Zilch. Zero. Look to the birds. And he talks about how he provides. And before you jump on all over that one, you ever watch what birds eat? I wouldn't want to touch half of it. Okay? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. And this is not, there is a balance here. That's why this is only f foundational. I don't want you to look at this and say, well, then we just don't worry about anything. We don't even have to provide for the future and so forth. No, we know the scriptures also have that balance to it. I'm giving you this part of it because it's the part that's often ignored. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them, verse 26. Are not you worth much more than they? And... Who of you, and here's the point of it, anxiety and worry, by being worried can add one single hour to your life? 
That's pretty consistent with what we already saw. The answer is no one. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet, I say to you that even Solomon was not, uh, in his, all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? And again, this was lack thereof in its context, no question. But notice again, for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you needs, that you need all these things, but his is, and this has been quoted many times, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things, they'll be added to you. God will take care of that. And again, I'm not saying be foolish with what you eat, not at all. And I'm not saying it's not that it's wrong because it's not to be health conscious in, in a, a, for example, a vegetarian. And I'm not saying that it's better to be a meat eater or not. That's your conscience before the Lord. But don't be so wrapped up in that, that that's taking priority in your life over the things of God. All of that is temporary. And it's not really going to help us in the long run. Okay? So don't worry about it. Philippians chapter 4 says the same thing. We're not to be anxious, but we're to commit the things to the Lord. A couple of other things for groundwork, and, um, and then we'll go from there. God does allow exceptions to the norm. Now, what I've given you is general principles already. God knows your life. It's in his hands. <clears throat> Generally, it's in the 70s or 80s that people live that long. Uh, generally, that everything is acceptable, or in God's eyes, everything is acceptable. He wants us to follow after the things of God and godliness first. That's to be our priority. Now, we know from Scripture other things. What? God allows exceptions to the norm. For example, sometimes the wicked prosper. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. Psalm 73. And I won't turn there, but Psalm 73, as you know, that was the struggle with the psalmist. He's looking around and saying, you know, I'm trying to follow you and look at all the trouble I'm having. By the way, not even looking at the fact that God's allowing that trouble in that person's life so that they can grow and be better off spiritually. And he was looking at all the benefits and they don't suffer, they don't feel this, they don't feel that, until he came to his wit's end and really saw the things in perspective. And by the time you get down to about verse 17, he says, then I saw their end. And I saw what was going to happen to them. And then he was able to rejoice. But God does allow the wicked to prosper. He does allow them sometimes to live longer. God sometimes does cut a, and I'm going to use the word cut carefully and guardedly, but he does shorten or cut the lives of the godly in some situations where they never get close to 70 or 80. There's many scriptural examples of that. Abel is one of the first ones we have. There's no indication that he was an ungodly man whatsoever, and he died young. And if you say, well, he was old to pass it down, I understand the passage. Look at his age in comparison to those that were living in that day and age and see how young he was. 
How about Uriah? People remember Bathsheba. What about Uriah? A godly man who wouldn't even eat and drink or have physical relations with his wife because he was involved in a battle and he was put to death by the king, David, as a young man. That's an exception, see? And what I'm trying to point out, because as we look at Proverbs, it's not guarantees, remember, some of the things we've learned. So there are always situations like that. Certainly the apostles of the New Testament. To my knowledge and the reading I've done, now we don't have a lot of detail. We do have some early on in the book of Acts. We know that some of them were killed with a sword and some of them were killed uh, right away. We learn about some others afterward, but every indication is the only one that lived with any longevity was John. The others died younger, comparatively speaking. And younger than, in all probability, the 80 years of age. So there are exceptions. And God had, that's why, again, our days are in the hands of the Lord. Sometimes you live a godly life and you will suffer and have pain and have disease. Obvious person that should come to your mind is Job. Whoever could, Job never saw what we see. <clears throat> he doesn't know the battle that was going on. Not much of a battle, but the accusations of Satan and how God knew his servant and knew that he could suffer those things and he could take everything away and he would not curse God. He suffered many things apparently unjustly. What about Joseph in the Old Testament? Another godly man. He was sold by his brothers. Look at the things he suffered. And even at one point in time got discouraged and thought God had forsaken him in prison and was pleading with people to try to remember him. He suffered some things and seemed undeservedly. How about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? I could go on. There's many other examples. These are exceptions. And to show us that God allows that. You know, what he allows in your life is not necessarily what's going to be in my life. And you can follow a course that's this pattern or that pattern, and neither one of which is wrong, but I'm telling you, that is not necessarily what is going to bring profit in your life, nor is it going to be certainly bringing longevity in your life. It's interesting that it said of Moses, when he was older and he died, that he was just as strong when he was older. But God still took the time and took his life. He was an exception again to the situation. <coughs> So what is the teaching? It's already 7 o'clock. What do we find in the book of Proverbs? Is there teaching on this? The answer is yes. But if you remember those things that I've already taught tonight and we've already looked at, you'll be way ahead of the game. Yes, there is profitability in the physical. Yes, there is profitability in being careful and watching what you eat. But don't get so occupied in that 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 becomes the priority over spiritual things. That's what we're trying to say. And don't lose sight of the fact <coughs> that basically God knows your days and unless there's a specific reason the Lord has in your life, it'll probably be somewhere in the vicinity of 70 to 80 years no matter what you do. No matter what you do. And I say 70 to 80, 70 to 90, somewhere in that age range. Now, what about the Proverbs? Well, since I read verse 2, let me give you the general principle tonight 
and then we'll have to leave the rest. And there are some things that we can do. <clears throat> I want you to know that. We will see that in Scripture. There are some things that you can do that will make you actually physically feel better. And you should do. Um, and we'll talk about that as we get there. But what is the general principle, Pastor Dan? Here it is. <clears throat> Obedience to God and the fear of the Lord is what brings longevity of life and quality of life. That's what the scriptures teach. Obedience to God and his commands and the fear of God is what has the promise with it of longevity of life and quality of life. Now I'll talk about both of those because there's some debate as to whether it really deals with longevity and whatever. I'll show you from the book of Proverbs, Lord willing, next week. On the other side of the coin, the general principle that's taught is disobedience, foolishness, and wickedness is what shortens a life. And it's really practical because if you think of it, that's why he commands his son to obey. If you disobey and you become foolish in your decisions, think of what we've already learned in Proverbs, and you go along with that crowd that says, oh, come with me and we'll take a life and we'll challenge this, you're going to end up in the same trouble they end up, and you may lose your life. Being, you know, I get fascinated sometimes by the stories. That person was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but they were generally a good person. And then I read the article. They were hanging around a bar at 4 o'clock in the morning. Very bad choice. It was decisions and foolishness that led to that shot, not being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You see? Foolishness, wickedness, disobedience. And that's what the scriptures say. And we have scriptural examples of that, and we will look at it. So for tonight, just really the one verse to start with, and there are many. I challenge you to start looking it up this week in scripture. But in, in Psalm 3 and verse 2, right away. I'm sorry, Proverbs. I'm in Psalms, that's why. Let me just get back there. Proverbs 3 and verse 2. He says, my son, don't forget my teaching. Keep them in your heart for length of days and years of life and peace. Both of those go together. They will add to you. And as I told you already, the debate goes on whether that really means the shortening of the life or whether it does mean longevity. Pastor Dan, you said you can't add length of life to us. And you can't because God knows them. And his point is, follow the commandments, follow the instruction, and you will have peace. That's a quality of life. Why? Because you know you're right with God. You know you're doing what God has in length of days. And I'll expand on that as we look at many, many other scriptures, uh, Lord willing, next week. But let's close in a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, I know as we come here tonight, there isn't any one of us that want to be sick. There isn't any one of us that want to be foolish. And Father, we do want to be, have balance in our life and be careful and we do know that some of the things that we mentioned tonight are, are realities, the stress and the disease, the chemicals, and all of these things that we're facing even in our foods and so forth. But Father, I pray if nobody got anything else tonight that we will have heard from you that the priority should not be on the physical. The priority in our life should be on the things of God. It should be on our things that will last for eternity. And that should be our emphasis. Help us to examine our lives, how much time is spent 
even on worry and concern about maybe what we have eaten, maybe what we have had for exercise, as opposed to the spiritual exercise of our prayer life, our reading of the word of God, our serving you. And I pray that it would strengthen us as believers, help us not to go out and live foolishly, but Father, as we learn again next week and look at the word of God, help us to make it a priority to follow the teachings of the word of God. And Father, to follow in that path that we might be pleasing to you and not only have peace in our life, but a better quality of walk as a believer, regardless of what circumstances may come our way. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.